0: Welcome back everyone for another episode of the Georgia Music Teachers Association podcast. My name is Bebe Lin, Vice President of Membership with GMTA. If you are interested in learning more about our organization, please go to georgiamta.org. Today we are joined by Deborah Hughes. Hello, Deborah. Good morning. Let's get started. My very first question is, Tell me about what you do and how you got to where you are today.
1: Hmm. Well, presently, I teach privately only. And I started out as a public school teacher who had private lessons on the side. And then I started having a family and that was too cumbersome to stay at the school. And so I just continued with private lessons. And I was figuring it out. It was 45 years ago when I first started teaching privately. And it is the best job I've ever had. In the meantime, I've also taught at private schools. I've done homeschooling and co-oping schools and I've done uh, Zoom lessons now. So it's been a very diverse experience of teaching.
0: If we can back up a little further, can you tell me about your education and um, did you study music in college?
1: Yes, I wanted to be a music teacher. I decided when I was 14 and that's part of my story. Actually, I thought I was going to be a doctor because my parents had said it so often. Oh, you should be a doctor. And I said, oh, Okay, well, then uh, something happened. And I decided I don't think I want to be a doctor. And my dad uh, said well you need to decide what you want to do and so uh, being the oldest child I was one of those who said oh I, I must do that so I went back to the room and I said I really like music maybe I'll do that so I was 14 I remember I came out of the bedroom and I said I've decided I'll be a music teacher. <laughs> and that's how I decided. I did go to um, auditions, and I was able to get into Clarion University, which is in Pennsylvania, It was a teacher school. And in the North, you have to major in an instrument. So you do all the requirements for performance degree, as well as teaching. So I got my degree there. I did go to Paris and spend um, I got some credits at the Paris American uh, Fine Arts Academy and I was able to do some extra credits also in other uh, places, but I got my degree and immediately the year I got married, which was the year I graduated, I got my first teaching degree uh, or first teaching job and was able to finish um through that getting tenure for four years, and then started my family. I did um, go through Yamaha training about the year 2000 or 2001. And so I do some extra credits that way.
0: Now, um, what instrument did you study as a child? Because I know that you're quite well versed in several instruments. So did you take private lessons on one in particular or on all of them?
1: No, my situation is not like probably many teachers. I was um, from a, a family that money was not abundant. So my parents let me know about the $100 that they spent on my flute in second grade. I was performing in parades by third grade because that was what was done in our community. And that $100 was um, spent on that flute. And I was in choir all the time, but I was also in band all the time. All the way, even through college, I, I played my flute, but I really loved singing. And it was at 14 when I started piano, when I had made that decision about being a music teacher Uh, so my experience as a, a flautist has been just very generic my lessons were at school once a week we went through instead of having a study hall we went and had lessons with the band director and so i didn't get a chance to practice at home very much in fact um That was very difficult for me to practice at home. And so that once a week lesson was very important for my musical uh, progress. I became very good at sight reading because of that. (laughs) And then for voice, I did start lessons at 14, which is still very young for voice. Uh, You can start younger, but just being in choruses and choirs and doing that kind of experience is very healthy. But piano, unfortunately, I started very late, but I love it.
0: Thank you for that. Do you have a favorite memory of any of your teachers that you can share with us?
1: Well, Mrs. Ferrari was my teacher. And she, at, when I came to her, she allowed me to have lessons at 14 for $5 for an hour, which is amazing. And so uh, I've been able to pass that on to many students. I really appreciated it. I still appreciate her and what she did for me and uh, give me a boost up to do what I had decided I wanted to do.
0: Now, was she your piano teacher?
1: Yes, she was my piano voice teacher when I when my mother found her. She was a friend of my mother's and she was a music teacher um, and she helped me a lot, very much.
0: You touched a little bit earlier on practicing on the flute and how that was difficult at home. What about practicing for voice and piano? What was that like for you at the age of 14 and onwards? Were you self-motivated or did your parents have to bribe you, force you?
1: (laughs) I was very self-motivated. I realized I was way behind my friends who played the piano. So for my first two books, of the John Thompson Easy Beginner books. I played on a piece of paper that I had taped onto my kitchen uh, kitchen counter, and I would take it off when I was done. I would play through it on the flute so I would know what it sounded like. And I would play on this little piece of paper that I knew was the same size as a piano. And I went through that and I would sing while I was playing. Um, I was pretty good at keeping a steady beat. That wasn't a problem because when you're in band, you have to keep a steady beat. So I, I played through my first two books like that. When it was two hands, I would sing the right and then make sure my left hand was right, even though I was playing the right hand. But it was a challenge. My parents then found a piano that was being thrown away from the schools. My mother was a secretary in the school, and I got this free piano. Had never been tuned and they put it in the in our small home very small ranch and um when i played it my dad had to be out of the house he did not want me to play it and uh when he was home i was home usually and i didn't get a chance to play it much because he was so upset by the sound of it. (laughs) He didn't want to hear me practice over and over and over. So I did not have a good experience with practicing at home. I did try to sing downstairs in the basement. It was not heated. We lived in Pennsylvania. Winter is a long season. It was not... um, you know, insulated. So it was also moldy and it was dark. There was a very dim light that was just one bulb in the whole place. I didn't have a music stand, so I had to prop up my music. So I did not have an ideal situation for practicing. I, I credit the fact that my teachers were able to encourage me when I was with them. And uh, they never asked me about my situation. They never discussed it with my parents either. And I had three siblings. So the house was very crowded uh, because it was a very small house. And uh, so practicing was not something, now I would get told about it because I said, I would get told, oh, what about that $100 flute that we paid? Why aren't we hearing you practice that, you know? So I could practice that back in the bedroom if I closed the door, but I had to sit on the bed and I had to prop it up with uh, books, the book to uh, practice with, which was not ideal either. But I made it through.
0: I hope this isn't too personal, but I wanted to back up. um, Now that I have a picture of what practicing was like for you, what were your parents' reactions to you saying that you wanted to be a musician?
1: The first thing they both said almost in unison was, you get so nervous. (sighs) That was their whole thing. But you get so nervous because I would get nervous before performance, even though I wasn't doing a solo. And when I did a solo too, I was so nervous. They could tell the difference, you know, from my performance at home when they would hear me if they did. And then in public, that was their their reaction. But they they said, okay, because I had made the decision. They never tried to unpersuade me.
0: Was that a concern of yours, how nervous you got in performing and the fact that you chose a career that might require you to be in front of people?
1: In retrospect, yes. But at the time, I didn't get nervous until the very minute I was ready to perform. I was cool and calm as a cucumber before, but the minute I got in front of people, I, I did feel like I was going to be criticized. Hmm. So that was what made me very nervous.
0: Well, I'd love to explore that in a little bit, but for now, if we can turn our attention to your career as a teacher, what are some of your favorite memories as a teacher?
1: Um, My favorite memory is a student who came to me year after year, she was a piano student. And then um, I think when she played piano about four years, she said she wanted to add voice and this student always came to me unprepared and I thought, wow, She, I'm doing the same thing week after week. So I would try to make it fun. I would try to encourage her to keep on going. And I have a lot of tips that I would like to tell people about how to do that, you know, to use the time playing with them, using games, different games, using instruments to help them keep on going. And then when she was in middle school, I talked to her about the fact that she doesn't practice. I discussed it with her parents. I said, you know, she comes to me very unprepared. And um, they explained, well, she's very busy. She doesn't have time to practice. And so I thought, if you're okay with just me spending this lesson time with her, I'm okay with that. So I've heard stories of teachers who have said, I fired this student, because they just don't practice. So I decided, well, I discussed it with the parents, I discussed it with the student, and she was okay with going slow. I said, well, you know, we've done this about three, four weeks, and you're still nowhere near the end of it. You're not prepared. Are you ready to finish the song and take more time? And she was, she was willing to take time on things. So I thought, well, if she's willing, I'm willing. So, of course, I pulled back on how much literature I gave her. And then at some points, instead of elevating the level, I had to go horizontal and I had to stay on that plateau. So fortunately, in piano, there's a lot of literature that you can do that. Same thing with other instruments. You find that you can just find those same skills in different Um, Melody and a different uh, piece of literature. So this student continued like this. And I didn't enjoy doing this because I always had to be creative on how to encourage her how to build her up that lesson use that time wisely. I became a champion of putting education uh, 100% in those minutes that I did have her in my studio to teach. Then, I think it was late middle school, she just, it was like a switch went on. She started to practice. She started to love it. And she wanted to finish the song and see the end result of a, a piece of music that was musical and that she enjoyed playing. Uh, we did composition. We did history study, not at just at that time, but to build her into this point. And uh, she was also singing. And she then won a scholarship, and she won an award, and she was memorizing so well and doing harder and harder literature, and it was so exciting, and so when you have a student like that, I'd like to encourage all teachers, don't give up on them. Do everything you can. Pull up instruments to play with them. You know, you do one hand while they do the other, and then switch roles. Play games like, okay, we're going to have a game uh, you against the book. Put those five slashes on the uh, book and put a plus and a circle and a heart if they get the answer right. And then scribble out the other one because the book got the point. So you want to make it fun for them. Of course, that's that works when they're in elementary. And then in the middle school years, you, you have to adapt it to their age. So uh, find music that they like. Uh, use their name somehow. (laughs) Then use little, um, in the middle school years, what you can do is take a simple melody and give them um, a figured bass they can do in the bottom that will encourage their hand use to stretch a little bit more. Or how do you like that harmony? give a melody and help them put the chords with it. How do you like this? Let's try, you know, a six chord instead of a one. How do you resolve from a five, seven, you know? So, and uh, doing theory the whole time. And uh, she is a music major at Arizona State now. She got a scholarship and I'm so excited for her. She's performing on a regular basis. She always sends me her YouTube uh, link so I can see her group and her perform. And so it's very exciting to know that if you stick with it, sometimes these students will turn around and surprise you, kind of like what I did, because it was a surprise probably to many people that I was going to be a music major. So I I think that would be my, my emphasis for today's podcast, is that be a champion for those kids that aren't practicing for you. Don't let them leave your studio discouraged say yes and find the good things they are doing um be positive lift them up give them something solid that they can hold on to and of course teach them how to practice you know all those years with this student that was not practicing i would have her speak back to me now how did we review this song today oh we did it slower we did it with uh, hands individually. Then we took a small part and practiced it and then added it to the next small part and linked it up. So all of these strategies for the student as well as the time there that they could take home and use. And it it works if you stick with it.
0: (laughs) That's fantastic and so encouraging to hear. I'm curious how long was that period where you had to kind of stick it out and go week by week?
1: Yes, I would say seven or eight years at least. Yes, (laughs) it was a long time. And when it happened, I was just so surprised. I never expected it, but it was delightful. That was another thing. You know, you have to show delight with your student. they come in, Greet them with a happy smile. Don't say, "Oh, here's the one that doesn't practice." Hello, how are you doing? You know, be happy to see them. Talk about their day for a second or two, and then get to music, and try to apply it. She um, she enjoyed different things, so if we would write songs together, I tried to use the topic that she liked. If it was horses or dancing, or Uh, laughing, whatever it is that the student might want to write about, then sit down, have some staff, always have staff paper ready, say, oh, how would that sound on the piano? What do you think that would sound like, you know, and then create something for them. They feel very, it's very personalized for them. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. So um, this is taking a step back earlier, we briefly touched on performance anxiety. And um, Mm. as musicians, we all struggle with performance anxiety. And of course, we watch our students struggle with performance anxiety. How have you helped your students cope with these? Mm -hmm. Well,
1: I'll give you a case study. I had a student, he was a flute student. He was a very high achieving academic student. He was a very good flute performer. He started off with piano and decided he wanted to go to flute. I guess it was about fourth grade. So he had had done Yamaha piano and did a few years of piano but he decided he wanted to do flute. Said, sure, let's do that. And uh, he did very well excellent rhythmatician, um, very, very strong in memorizing all of his scales We would time things and uh, good breath support. Once we got that handled, um, he had great tone and he could tune his instrument while he was playing. I would say, a oh, little sharp there, and he would tune it right then. You know, you have to adjust your embouchure. And he had, unfortunately, When he would go and experience, when he would go for auditions for Allstate, he would do very poorly. So the first year we discussed what he made the mistake on, because I knew he did it beautifully and wonderfully in the studio here. And he came back to me very upset and he thought, oh, I didn't do well. And I said, well, were you nervous? He goes, Yes. And I said, well, what happened when it happened, you know, and he described to me that he just kind of lost lost it. And I said, well, I think it's a focus issue. I think bottom line, if you don't focus exactly on what you're doing and you let any outside um, stimuli or anything affect you, Uh, from the outside coming into your performance when you're auditioning, it will affect your performance. So the next year he did the same thing. So in the meantime, we were doing performances for festival and we were, um, but they were always judged one-on-one and I could see where he would get nervous and then he would kind of lose it. So he was so nervous about that one mistake. He was focusing on the mistake instead of looking ahead. So that was one thing I worked on him to do. All right, that was a mistake. How do you keep on pressing through it? How, are you thinking about the next point that you have to get to, the next phrase, the next breath you need, instead of looking back mentally on what you just made a mistake with? Um, he continued to have this problem and he got better. At one point, though, he did an All-State, I think this is the third All-State he tried to do, and he was beside himself, and um, he was an upper middle school student at this point, and he was crying, which I think he found very shameful in front of me. And I, you know, I put my arm around him, I had to encourage him. Um, that everybody goes through this. Everybody has this. He felt that other people didn't have nerves. That was another point I had to encourage him with. I said, I get nervous too, but I keep on going and I try to keep focused. So those were the two main points. And then he got to the point, his mother came to me and was very distressed. She said, she feels like he's going to take his life. I went, oh, Oh, so we talked a lot about why he was playing flute. So he wanted to quit at that point because he felt like a failure. If he couldn't do it in front of an audience, how could he keep on going? So we talked a lot about you're not doing it for other people. You're doing it for yourself. So this was... um, a good stepping point for him because he had made a decision coming into that lesson that day that he should quit. He should quit. Not that he wanted to quit, but that he should because he's such a failure. Why would you want to continue? But he said, you know, I do like it. I'm doing it for me. So I said, forget about auditions, forget about being in front of others and being judged or being, you know, um, critiqued. Will you want to continue playing flute? Do you like this? Yes, he decided he did. So that was the stepping stone for him. So we continued and yet he still wanted to um, perhaps audition. He ended up auditioning for a concerto at his school. He went to this very high science math school, the GSMST here in Georgia. And he Did pretty good on his concerto. In fact, they selected him and his mother sent me the video and she said, our dreams came true for him. He was picked to do concerto with his school's orchestra, but he still had nerves. So he fortunately knew that well enough that he did well in that performance. It gave him a boost, but his senior year he did his festival and he made a mistake and he was able to, we kept on doing events that he was agreeable to doing and he did all say it again, but didn't make it even that senior year. He was, he was willing to, you know, try it, but he finally auditioned and I was with him and he made a mistake and he was able to regroup and get focused on what was coming up. And with flute, you don't have to memorize, but he always did. It was all from memory. So then that senior year, I thought, well, he's had that concerto experience. That's wonderful. And he he got a couple of awards for the flute playing because it was just one-on-one. But he really wanted to, you know, go out with a bang. And he did. The final year senior event the final event he had he did uh the carbon carmen's habanera um, variations and it's a very extensive hard piece and he did it beautifully in front of the judge and he beat all of the pianists and the vocalists he came in first place and it was because bit by bit by bit we tackled it by performing a lot by Uh, realizing it he was enjoying it he wanted to do it for self if he made a mistake that's okay just keep on going and focus 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 get your mind back on the job so that's how I helped him (laughs) and those were techniques I used for myself as well
0: Yeah, that's a really beautiful picture of um, how teachers can mentor students into learning that part of the value of learning an instrument is not necessarily the results that we gain, the awards that we receive, but it really is the growth process, go through, and the personal growth that we um, force ourselves to go through um, using instrument and using music as a vehicle to get through that. I love hearing that story. That is so encouraging. And kudos to you and your student for being so fearless and tackling. Yes, <laughs> um, You know, we really have to be fearless in tackling fear. So that's incredible. Um, tell me about your time in GMTA and MTNA. How did you hear about the organization and what has been being part of this organization meant to you? Oh, it's meant
1: so much it has helped me be a better teacher. I heard about it through um, teachers at a school. When I stopped homeschooling my children and they went into college, I thought now I, I will do teaching at a school. And I decided to go to the school and there were other teachers there and they said they were preparing for festival. And so I said, well, I'd love to do that. <laughs> and I almost pushed myself. I think I pushed myself on them and said, I want to do that. Can I join? Can I be involved? <laughs> and so um, part of our MTA is that we symbiotically join with uh, federation festival to do festivals. Uh, do that kind of event. And it's good for the, you know, very, very early beginner all the way up to advanced. So I did it for like three students. And then the next year I had like all 45 of my students do it. So I stayed, of course, at MTMA, Uh, the GMTA meetings we had once a month, they had people come in and teach us how to teach piano. And I loved it and I learned so much and I was growing myself as a a performer because I had to accompany my voice students and that I was very terrified and I would tell them, keep on going. And sometimes I was down to two notes instead of the whole thing just to help them keep on going. But I grew a lot through it and I was able to um, help them and I've been in part of it. I've been a president and I am membership chair now. So I really um, am sold. I'm all for it. (laughs) And if anybody has a question and you, you feel like you have it all going on, there are always things that you can improve in your studio as a business person, as an individual, as a teacher as an encourager, as a champion for your students. You need to be a champion for your students.
0: Thank you for that. This is our very last question, which is what advice would you give to young musicians who might not necessarily pursue music as a career? How can you advise them to keep music as part of their lives?
1: Oh, well, I think first we just are, as teachers, we are sharing the love. So if they come out of your studio feeling they like music and they love it and they um, enjoy classical or jazz or whatever genre they prefer, that they can continue in it as a lifelong Uh, learner and a lifelong enjoyer. They can be a patron. And I think that as a parent, it's very important. I failed one student, I have to say, in this area. Her mother one day stood in front of my um, studio and said, after the lesson, I'm going to make my daughter quit. And she started bawling. She was crying. I don't want to quit. I don't want to quit. I like this. Meanwhile, this same daughter was going to ballet four times a week. So I think I failed that parent. That parent felt like she should progress and be a concert artist by now because she invested all these years. And it was about four or five years of piano. And she felt she and she was very good. She was a solid intermediate performer at that time but I have not trained the parent to understand. So um, that would be my advice, be a good music parent, <laughs> a patron, a, um, a lover, continue in all genres. It's all fun, it's all good, and you can do it till you're older. As a flute student, after college, I pretty much put it up and it sat, my, my same $100 flute sat in its case for about 20 years, I didn't really break it out maybe once or twice. And I decided, you know, I'm getting a little older. I was invited to be part of a flute ensemble. So I bought a new flute, cost much more than $100. And I have been getting better. Here I am. I'm over 40 and I'm getting better, better than I ever was in high school or college. So you, you don't lose what you have. You can continue on and it's a lifelong thing, unlike ballet or taekwondo (laughs) or even baseball and tennis that, you know, our large muscles will give out. But music doesn't. I can. I am still getting better. So don't give up on it. You can always come back to it. Enjoy it. Be a good person in it as much as you can. And as teachers, we have to have them really um, enjoy what they do.
0: That's beautiful. I've loved hearing your heart and your spirit and your passion. So thank you, Deborah, for your time and your insights and for sharing your life experiences with us today. This has been a fun conversation. I wish you happy teaching and happy students.
1: Thank you. You too.